Today's scripture reading comes from Romans 3, 21 through 30. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Josiah, our college minister here at ECC. I want to start and ask you a question. Have you ever looked back on a time or experience in your life and realized that there was a story going on around you that you were completely unaware of? I had this experience a few years ago. My wife and I like to run marathons. I know that's really weird. Um, Who pays money to go to a far-off city and run 26 miles and pain the whole time? I don't know why I do that, but I, I kind of enjoy it. And so my wife and I traveled to Jacksonville, Florida to do a marathon. And I'm standing on the starting line, and you kind of look for people you might want to run with, because 26 miles is a long way to go by yourself. And I met a guy named Bruce. He was wearing a Canada jersey. I said, oh, you're Canadian, eh? Uh, And Bruce said, (laughs) Bruce Bruce told me what pace he was aiming to run, and it matched up perfectly with, with, with what I was trying to run myself. And so we set out on this race, Bruce and I keeping pace together, Uh, About halfway through the race, someone from the crowd handed Bruce a water bottle, and he said, hey, do you think this is safe? And I said, of course it's safe. Uh, So Bruce took a drink, and then he passed it to me, you know, what a sportsman. I took a drink, and then I squirted the guy beside me in the face with it and threw it over my shoulder. Um, I didn't really do that. And so Bruce and I, we continued running, and a few miles later, Bruce, uh, he had an appointment in the bushes that he could no longer neglect to attend to, And so Bruce ducked off, and I continued on, and sadly, that was the last I saw of my Canadian friend. Until a week later, I was up to my normal Saturday morning activity of reading some sports news, and I saw a link that caught my attention. It was about a Russian drug ring, a a ring of elite distance runners who had been caught using performance-enhancing drugs Someone had blown the whistle on what was going on with this group of elite athletes training out west, and I clicked on the link, and whose picture popped up but Bruce? So here's the deal. Bruce, when I was running with him in Jacksonville, had just turned 40, and he was there to break a a record for Canadians for people who are over 40, and so I was a good deal younger than him, but in his former days, Bruce was a very elite Canadian runner. 
and he had been training with this group of Russian athletes out west, and so now that one of them had been caught for this doping behavior, they looked to Bruce to provide details, and he was able to do so. The news story broke, and I found out a week after I'd been running with Bruce. So here's the crazy part. The reason this had become a story is that Bruce had planned on running the New York City Marathon a few weeks earlier, but once that news had been made public, he received a phone call, and someone in a Russian voice informed him that if he showed up on the starting line in New York, that would be the last race he ever ran. I wish I would have known that when I chose to start the race in Jacksonville with this guy. <laughs> when Bruce asked me, do you think this water's safe? I would have had a very different answer to that question. There was a story going on around me that I was completely unaware of. This past three weeks, we've begun a sermon series in the book of Romans, Too Much and Not Enough. And Pastor Bob, he preached the first three weeks. I have the conviction that uh, maybe a better title for the first three weeks, instead of Too Much and Not Enough, would have been Sinners in the Hands of an Angry Bob. Uh, here's where we've started out. We've, we've traced this story. The first three chapters of the book of Romans trace the story of life and human existence. And it's a story that each and every one of us find ourselves in the middle of, even if we didn't even know it before we read this passage. The first week, Bob talked about the way in which all of us are created by God with knowledge of him. We have knowledge of who God is, but in our sin, we've chosen to live our lives with ourselves at the center of our story. We ignore God as our ultimate authority and put ourselves in his place. We follow our own way. And the end result of our sin is that God allows us to have what we want. He allows us to live following after ourselves, looking for fulfillment, looking for meaning, looking for purpose in ourselves. And how does that work out for us? Our attempts to find the hope, the life, the joy in things of this world, they never satisfy us because there is a void within us that can only be filled by relationship with God. That's what we were created for. We were created to experience life in relationship with God and to enjoy Him. And so when we don't have that in our lives, we miss it. We miss out. We can't live the lives we were created to live apart from him. And some of us, we accept the reality of our sin condition and separation from God, and we commit ourselves to rectifying the situation through our own works. Maybe we can accumulate enough good deeds. Maybe we can become moral enough people that our efforts might balance out the scales in our favor, that maybe we can gather the righteousness through our own acts, that God would look on us, not with disapproval, that he might give us his favor. But are any of us able to accomplish that? Think back to Bob's message last week, first half of Romans chapter 3. Are any of us able to meet the righteous requirements of God? Paul, writing to Roman Christians from a Jewish background who once looked to the Mosaic law as their hope for righteousness through their obedience, that they might become righteousness. Here's what Paul says to them. He quotes scripture, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. 
they have together become worthless. There's no one who does good. What he's saying is that our pursuit of righteousness, no matter the self-discipline that we bring to it, it will never accomplish what we hope. It's an endless pursuit because the law is powerful to convict us of sin. The law is powerful to keep us accountable for sin. But because of our sin, it's powerless to save us. Our obedience will never allow us to measure up. We all fall short. And so we face the consequences for our sin. We face them in the here and now as we harm ourselves with our sin. We harm our relationships with others. But the fact of the matter is that ultimately we have harmed God. We've harmed God with our sin. We've all offended him and we are deserving of his judgment. That's what we deserve. As we read the logical sequence of the book of Romans, our judgment makes sense. That's what we have coming for us. And so we come to today's passage, and we read in verse 22 of chapter 3, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We better brace ourselves for what's coming next, right? We're about to get our just desserts. We know what we have coming to us. We deserve judgment. But what we read next is not our death sentence, but the best news that's ever come to human existence. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's the best news mankind has ever received. And not one of us saw us coming. No one saw this coming. Grace. This is a hard sermon to screw up, folks. We were dead in sin. We were lost. We were hopeless in ourselves. And Jesus Christ, he came to our rescue. We receive forgiveness. We receive new life when we simply admit our need, our undeserving, and come to him in faith and look to his provision on our behalf. According to my logic, this makes no sense. This is not what we deserve, but thank God, praise God, he does not play by our rules, right? We bring him our sin, he gives us grace. This past spring, my wife and I were ready to take a vacation, and we love the mountains. We were going to go down to the mountains of Asheville, North Carolina, and so it always falls to me to be the one who plans vacations, and I'm just fine with that. I'm kind of a control freak. I like to pick the place and um, know what I'm getting myself into. So I found the perfect apartment down in North Carolina. Uh, my wife and I were so excited, and we, we double-checked on the dates. I said, okay, our week is the last week of March, week before Easter, right? Uh, yep, that's right. Double-checked again. I wanted to make sure I didn't screw this up, and so here we go. Book the place. Uh, three weeks later, my wife says to me, hey, we have our place for uh, the week before Easter, right? And I was like, yeah, last week of March. And then we looked at the calendar, and we realized the week before Easter actually wasn't the last week of March. Oh, shoot. We booked our apartment for vacation the wrong week. And so I got online. I'm looking at the fine print, and it turns out that within 30 days, not only can you not switch the date of your reservation, but you lose all of your money. And we had paid for this place in full. Guys, that was, uh, that was bad news. That was bad news. And so I was devastated. Uh, my wife is, one of her roles in our family is whenever we need to return something or ask someone for something that they shouldn't give us, she's the one who asks. Because she's really cute and friendly and I'm always like, 
fired up and ticked off, and they're like, you know, get over yourself. Uh, so my wife called, and she said, look, is there any way you could work with us? We deserve to have the book thrown at us. This company could have made out. Not only did they switch our week and accommodate us that way, but they upgraded us from an apartment to a two-bedroom house for the same exact price. If that is not unmerited favor, if that is not grace, I don't know what is. It's completely unmerited. It has nothing to do with our deserving, nothing to do with our earning. That's grace. What a gift. Christ's sacrifice on the cross brought the grace of God to human existence in the ultimate way. God's grace changes everything for us. Paul writes, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement to demonstrate his righteousness as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So there are two things he's saying here. The cross shows us God's perfect righteousness. The punishment for our guilt had to be paid for. But the cross also shows us God's immeasurable mercy. Because of his great love for us, God took our punishment upon himself. He bore in Jesus Christ the punishment that we deserve so that we might be forgiven. So we're not freely forgiven because God all of a sudden, all of a sudden decided, sin, it's not really that big of a deal. Let's just overlook it. That's not why we're forgiven. We're forgiven freely because God paid the price for our forgiveness in the blood and flesh of his own son. Christ's sacrifice accomplished our redemption, Paul writes. Paul's readers, Greco-Roman readers, would have known what redemption was all about. Redemption was when someone paid a ransom price to secure the freedom of a slave. And so Paul is saying that Christ's death on the cross has purchased freedom for all who will look to him in faith. He's prayed the price for our release from slavery to sin. So let's look at those blessings that our new life entails. Justification. We're declared blameless of the sin that separates us from God. Our sins will no longer be held against us. God no longer looks at us and sees us as lawbreakers. From the moment we first trust Christ for all of eternity, when God looks at us, he no longer sees our sin. He sees the perfect record of Jesus. We know there will be a day when each and every one of us comes before God to be judged. But if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, our hope is this. When you come before God to be judged, the words that you hear will be not guilty. Your sins will not be held against you. And so there are consequences to our sin in the here and now. We know that all too well. Some of those consequences may stick with us for the rest of our lives. But the reality is that through Christ, the guilt and condemnation of our sins is no longer attached to us. It has nothing to do with who you really are. When our record is read on high, there are three words that will seal our fate. It is finished. It's finished. It's over. No matter how bad you mess up, no matter how bad you've messed up, God's Grace will never change. Your freedom is secure in Jesus. It's a done deal. That's grace. This is grace. 
what else does our new life entail? This is beautiful. Not only is our sin no longer held against us, but we're given what we need to be united with God, and that is righteousness. Through Christ, we receive right standing with God. No amount of self-discipline could ever gain us righteousness. Not even from the most saintly woman of our church whose prayer life absolutely puts me to shame. Not one of us could merit righteousness by our own works. But here's, here's the beautiful thing about grace. There's only one way to righteousness. And all of us have hope to gain it. Because to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. What a gift of grace. Jesus Christ was rich, but for our sakes he became poor, that we through him might become rich. And so we come to God with our spiritual bankruptcy. We've got nothing to offer. And he gives us his immeasurable wealth and an eternal inheritance. How's that for a swap? That sure beats a salvaged vacation. I'll tell you that much. This is the gospel. This is the best news of human existence. It is news that is monumental and global. It's for all people at all times in all places. But here's the thing. It has to be personal. And it takes humility for us to receive it. It requires us accepting that God exists, but that we've not chosen to follow him, that we've chosen to put ourselves at the center of the story. It causes, it requires us to recognize that our sin separates us from God, and there's nothing we can do to restore that relationship. We're all in need of a savior from outside of ourselves. That storyline, it stings. But here's the thing, unless we know how bad the bad news is, we're never going to understand, we're never going to experience how good the good news is. Jesus Christ died to save sinners. Will we trust him? I love hearing stories of how the gospel has landed in people's hearts, how the gospel is powerful to transform lives. I want to invite forward Matt. Matt's a sophomore here at IU. He's a good friend of mine, and he's going to share the story of God's work in his life with you all. As Josiah just said, my name is Matthew Racine, and I'm a student here at Indiana University. I'd just like to start off by saying that I'm very grateful and appreciative of the opportunity to share my testimony here at ECC. In order to understand the perspective in which I was brought up in, I think it's critical to know a few things about my childhood. Ever since I could remember, my parents took me to a Catholic church back in my hometown in Minnesota just about every Sunday until I entered seventh grade. However, when I started to become a busy teenage boy, my church attendance virtually became non-existent, and my views towards Christianity began to decline. As any naive and perhaps defiant teenage boy, I thought I did not need God if any did exist. And so I started to walk down my own path, seeking pleasure and satisfaction in just about anything I could. But 
You also have to understand that I eagerly sought to please my parents, my friends, and any other adults in my life. I always tried to say the right things, do the right things, and act in the right ways in order to live this virtuous lifestyle. I consistently took pride in myself for having good behavior and self-righteousness. However, when my own efforts to live this upstanding life failed time and time again, an emptiness began to consume my heart. I had mastered living a radically two-faced lifestyle. On one hand, I was this nice, proper boy who on the surface seemed to be the perfect kid, but on the other hand, I was this completely empty person who sought the acceptance and approval of others. It wasn't too long after middle school started that I was able to get the attention I so desperately wanted. Whenever I said something or acted in a way that was funny, stupid, or reckless, my friends would laugh and look to me for future entertainment. I'd come to love being the center of attention, and I soon became dependent on an adrenaline rush to fulfill me. And just like any drug addict, when the high wore off, I had to somehow be more funny, more stupid, and more reckless in order to get that same sense of fulfillment for my friends. I guess this was my way of coping with the emptiness that was inside my heart. And as this hole I was digging myself into became much deeper and much darker, my life started to spiral out of control. I started seeking just about anything I could that would give me the slightest amount of fulfillment. I tried medicating my pain with girlfriends, and when that wasn't enough, I started experimenting with drugs and alcohol. And when that still left me unsatisfied, I thought that driving under the influence would surely give me that adrenaline rush I so desperately wanted. But once again, my, my own efforts to satisfy myself failed, leaving me completely empty and brokenhearted. At this point, I was so dissatisfied with my life that I remember once thinking, if this is all life has to offer, I would rather be dead. Shortly after having this thought, I got a strange invitation from one of my friends to attend a local Christian event. After thinking about it for a while, I reluctantly agreed to go. I mean. I guess I didn't have anything to lose. The speaker's topic for the night was on evangelism, and as I was listening, I came to understand something deeply fundamental to my identity. I realized that I was trying to build my entire life's purpose on my achievements, my relationships, and my ability to satisfy myself. And in this moment, my entire life flashed before me, and I soon became overwhelmed and utterly shocked by the gospel and its implications. I learned that I had fallen short of God's glory and that my own works and my own efforts to live this virtuous lifestyle would never amount to anything. I could not earn God's favor. But even though I was a sinner who only deserved hell, God's love for me never failed. He made a way by sending Jesus Christ to the cross where he bore my sin and my hell. 
for me. With this new knowledge and understanding of who Jesus was and the extraordinary hope offered in the gospel, my whole reality was about to come crashing down on me. I came to understand my need for a Savior, and I learned that Jesus Christ was the only way I was ever going to get that satisfaction my heart so deeply desired. And as I began to walk out of the church, I cried out to God in repentance and asked him to pour out his love and grace on me. And in that moment of surrender, one of the most incredible things ever happened. I felt this extremely heavy weight lift off my shoulders, and I started to cry, shake, and shiver uncontrollably. For the first time in my life, I felt a calming peace wash over my head. The burden of my sin no longer defined me, and I was no longer a slave to finding my worth and my satisfaction in the things of this world. I was a new creation in Christ and a child of the one true King. When I look back on the past year of my life, God has been very active in changing my heart and my desires. Although every day is a constant fight for holiness, God's unchanging grace remains sufficient for me. He has given me abundant life and filled me with a joy I can't quite understand. Through his word and the incredible friends and mentors he has placed in my life, God continues to unveil his rich mercies and tender love to me. The truth is, I'm still a broken man, but through God's redeeming grace, he has set me free. Thank you. Amen. Thanks so much, buddy. That story that Matt just told is for each and every one of us. God loves us and has made a way for us. If you're here this morning and you have never before trusted Jesus Christ in faith, will this be the moment you decide to make God's grace in Jesus Christ the reality for your life, for your future? Will this be the moment where you open your eyes of faith to see this story that has been going on all around you your whole life, and maybe you didn't even know it. The story of the eternal God, the one true God who loves you and sent his son to die on the cross for you that you might be restored for him. Will this be that moment? Will you trust him? Will you trust Christ in faith? If you've trusted Jesus whether that was five seconds ago or 85 years ago, let me encourage you, never take your finger out of the gospel page in your life story. There is a reason that Paul was constantly writing to churches of people who were already believers, people who were saved, reminding them of the beauty of the gospel. He was constantly doing that. Here's why, because the whole life is about living in light of the good news, and we are so quick to forget it. Thomas Merton wrote, the greatest temptation that assails Christians is that in effect for most of us, the gospel has ceased to be news. 
If it is not news, it is not gospel, for the gospel is the proclamation of something absolutely new, everlastingly new, not a message that was once new, but is now 2,000 years old. How much do we need God's grace in Christ? How much do we need it? We can't live a minute without it. It's our source of life. We live by faith. And so we must look to God's grace and Jesus Christ every day to sustain us. We need to look to his gift of grace, the Holy Spirit, to allow us the lives, to live the lives he's created us to live. Lives of love and good deeds in Jesus' name. I need to tell you, the most profound moments in my walk of faith haven't been the moments where I've come to get a better grasp on a really complex theological topic, though learning is incredibly important. The most profound moments for me have been when I've allowed the gospel foundations of our faith that I've known up here actually get to my heart. When I've taken those lessons of God's grace and let them hit home. The good news is our whole life story. Let me ask you a question. In what areas of your life are you saying, God, the gospel is great, but this part is on me. I know you died for me. I know I'm saved, but this part of my life is about my performance. It's about what I've got to bring to the table, God. Do you believe the good news is your whole life story? Do you believe God's grace is big enough for every area of your life? The truth is this. Through Christ's sacrifice, we're redeemed, we're justified, we're declared righteousness, We're declared righteous. We're guaranteed the spirit to live the lives that we are made to live in Christ. And nothing can separate us from him. His grace is all sufficient for us. Even our sufferings present us with an opportunity to experience deeper fellowship with him. We are a people of hope no matter what we face. Because of God's grace, we cannot lose In Christ, we've already won, and it's all because of grace. No one saw that coming. Let's pray. God, as we read in the book of Romans, we see the story of our lives unfold. We are people who are lost in ourselves. We followed our own way. We've put ourselves at the center of our lives. God, we're alienated from you, uh, but... God, you haven't left us alone. In your grace, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to make a way for us. You've drawn us to yourself. You've wooed us with your love, God. We thank you that you haven't left us to ourselves. I pray that if there's someone here who doesn't know you, that hasn't experienced your redemption in their life, that they would know that you are full of grace for all of our sin, that you take our brokenness and you give us new life. God, what hope do we have that no matter what we walk through, you are with us? That no matter what we walk through, we have hope. That you fill us with joy because our joy isn't in our circumstances. Our joy is in the Lord. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And that's each and every one of us. And so, I pray that you would just do a work in our hearts, God. Would you remind us constantly of our need for grace? and to know that you always satisfy. 
if there's any area of our lives that we're holding on to, looking to ourselves, what we can do to measure up, God, that we would just lay them before you, that we would know that your grace is enough for us, that Christ is enough. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.